Hello, congregation. We're in our Bible study in Ephesians chapter 4 tonight. And let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, uh, cleanse our hearts. Help us to understand your word. For thy word is truth, enduring to all generations. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but your word will not pass away. And Lord, your word is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that we may be completely equipped unto good works. Lord, bless us tonight in the Bible study. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. We ended last time talking about love. And we were leading into verse 3 here, uh, in verse 4, the unity of the church. Well, you won't keep unity in the church without love. Amen? And so we need to go back in verse 3 and revisit that verse, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We talked about forbearing one another in love, and that just simply means bearing or putting up with each other and our differences and, and the things that are unlovable about us. Would everybody agree that you have something unlovable about you? Okay, that, I, everybody would agree with that. I would agree there are things unlovable about me. In fact, there's quite a bit. And uh, so, okay, you don't have to love everything about me to love me. Amen? Well, let's be that way. But it was the one thing that the Ephesians eventually lost. And love, uh, the, the result of love is unity. And unity is a result, not a condition. Okay, we think of it as a condition, but it's really a result of love. The result of love is unity. Okay, I want you to think about it. Always remember that. Where people love the Lord above themselves, they put others before them. And then there's always unity. Amen? I mean, love brings unity. Let's face it. But why should we be unified? Why should we be one? And the very definite answer here, and Ephesians is going to point this out, is because we're already one. Did you hear me? We're already one. We are one universal church through the Spirit of God. We are one in the faith. You say, well, we're, we're Baptists and we're this thing and we're that thing. and Yes, but we're all one in the faith. If a person has trusted Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as deity, and has trusted Him as for their salvation, we are one. Uh, doctrinally, we're already one. Let me just read what it says here in verse, beginning in verse 4. There is one body, one spirit. We're called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So he's in us through the Holy Spirit. But to everyone given the grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. But to everyone is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So, why should we be unified? But in fact, doctrinally, we are unified. We all have the same Father. We all have the same Savior. We all have, are in the same body. We are unified. Now, we may disagree on some doctrinal issues, not major ones, minor ones, you know, not essential doctrines we cannot disagree on. The thing that makes the new birth in all of us, joins us 
it together in one spirit. And we're all one in Christ. So let's take our local church, the Baptist church here. We're all one in Christ. We're already unified, whether we realize it or not. We're joined by the Spirit. So that is our condition and state. Why should that not be a reality? Now, let me say this. That points out this fact, and I don't know that the Ephesian church was ever disunified. That disunity in a church signifies that there is a major spiritual problem because people have, have somehow split away from the truth somewhere. If, if we have things that go so far that they divide us, then we have departed from the truth already. Because the truth of the matter is we're all, we, God made us unified through His Spirit. That's a fact, that's a condition, doctrinally, in every way, we are one. We're joined in the Spirit. We have the same Spirit, the same Father, the same Son. Then what are we arguing about? How can there be a difference then in the church? And universally, I always say, if there's disunity, somebody is out of the will of God. Maybe both parties. And, and, and more often than not, that would be true. Both parties are out of the will of God. But at least one of the parties is out of the will of God. They're, they're carnal in their thinking. That's the only way. And if you flip forward, if we were to go over to the book of Corinthians and see a church that's heavily divided, uh, the thing that Paul immediately brings up is carnality. That they have departed from the spiritual and are now walking and thinking as men and going by worldly ways in order to determine what they should do. And once we depart from the Word of God and from the spiritual to the carnal, then there's going to be conflict. Why is there going to be conflict in the church when somebody departs from the spiritual carnal? What, read your Bible. What does Paul say? The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against what? Flesh. In other words, there's a war between the flesh and the spirit. So if you get half the church carnal and half of it spiritual, you're going to have a conflict. And normally what happens in the church is we have a conflict with a few people who are carnal. With the rest of the church, which is pretty much spiritual. And that's usually what happens. But when it gets to be a problem, then there it creates disunity. There's more carnal people in there. Or both sides... The whole church has become carnal, and that's what happened at Corinth. And they were all arguing among themselves about different things that didn't matter. It didn't matter what it was they were going to argue and be disunified because they were all out of the will of God. And that can happen too. So when we, when we think of disunity, when we see, if we ever see disunity, we need to take a step back. Uh, I, I would, if I saw that, what would you do, Pat? I'd call the whole church into prayer. To begin with, to meet together, to begin to pray and fellowship and continue praying until it was resolved and asking hearts to be reaffirmed spiritually. Because I think that's what you have to do. And I've seen, uh, I, I've, throughout the years of pastoring, they say, Pastor, have you ever had a split in your church? No, but I had a lot of splinters. Now, splinters are where people get upset 
And maybe, maybe as many as two or three families, and they depart the church. Well, splinter is going to happen. And usually it's one family. Uh, but yeah, I, you have splinters. You can't help but have splinters. You're, every church is going to have that. Because there's, everybody's just not going to stay in tune with the Spirit of God. I mean, that's a given. They're, they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to stay and be a problem, or they're going to be a problem and leave, or they're going to get right with God. There's three things that will happen. They either get their hearts right with God, stay and be a problem, or leave. You know, that's, that's the only three things that can happen to a carnal person who comes into the church that is saved but yet carnal. And that's, that's also a condition. But all these conditions are conditions outside the will of God. This is not in the will of God. It's never in the will of God for the church to be disunified. And that's the, I think that's the first thing we need to, to understand. Uh, it went so far in the early church because they had problems with this unity so much that Paul said, mark them that cause division and have no fellowship with them. In other words, take note, there are certain people that are going to disrupt the church and take note of them and just don't even hang around them. Don't be around them because they're, they're disunifiers. Okay. It's our eventual state of unity in eternity. Eternity will all be unified. Okay? So we need to know that. Uh, okay, now we're down. And look at verse 13. Let's look at that just for a moment. Till we all come, this is that eternal thing, till we all come in the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, into a perfect, complete man, until the measure of the fullness, a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that's, we, we are going to hopefully in this world grow into that man, but we know in eternity we will be eventually in that state of mind till we are all come into the unity of the faith. Okay. Verses 7 through 11. Here are some verses that will help you in Christian living in the church. We are all given different measures of grace. And I want to really go into this. Let's read verses 7 through 11 first. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. This is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit after Christ's ascension. And he ascended what it, what it is, but he also descended first to the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill in all things. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come into the unity of the faith. Well, let me say here, first of all, that God gave us, first of all, different measures of grace. Now, what does that mean? Grace is enabling. Grace helps us, strengthens us to overcome problems. We think of that when we pray, Lord, give me grace. But this grace is serving grace. God gave all of us different capacities 
and abilities to serve. Amen? Yeah. That means that a person who, whom God has called to maybe with the gift of helps or whatever to help people who loves the Lord and reads their Bible should not sit here on Sunday and feel in any way uh, bad that they're not preaching. You, you follow what I'm saying? That God didn't give them the measure of grace to do that. And so there's no reason for them to feel bad about it. God gave them the measure of grace to do what they do. You know, and God has always compared it to a body. In, in, in Corinthians, he goes to a great extent of this. And now think about it. And he said, if, if the nose, if your nose tries to be your ear, how good, a, how good an ear would you have? And if your tongue tried to be your nose, how good a nose would you have? You know, you could go on and on. But the fact is, all the nose works best at being the nose. The hand works best at being the hand. And when all of them work together, you have something great, don't you? You have a body that functions. And see, my knees have taken a hiatus, and they're not working. So I'm going to have to replace those guys because they're not up to it. But the measure of grace is God has given us different abilities. Get different gifts. And we're using those gifts, and we don't have to worry. Okay, somebody sings, or somebody preaches, or somebody is a deacon. And if that's not our calling, you don't have to worry about not being any of those things. Because it's not your calling. God gave you a measure of grace. Maybe your ability is running the soundboard. You're technical. You have a technical mind. Or maybe you're a teacher in the church, and God has led you to be a teacher. We need teachers. Or God has led you to be the gift of giving. And your, your thing is to give to people, to help people, to be a helper. Uh, or maybe there's the gift of administration. Uh, maybe your gift to the church is to be able to administrate, to, to do things in administration that need to be done. There are all kinds of ministry gifts given here. And he gave some apostles, although that was the beginning to disappear. And then he, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the maturing of the saints. Some will not be able to achieve and do what you do with the body. Others will exceed you. That's okay. It depends on your gifting and the grace given to you by God. And Paul talks about that. Paul said grace was given to him. Let's turn back to Romans chapter 12, verse 3. And I hope I have the right verse here. I always wonder when I go back on these Bible... I do these Bible studies early in the morning a lot of times. 12, 3. And he says, For I say through the grace given unto me, that every... that, that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt... To every man, the measure of faith. And they're same idea, a measure of faith, a measure of grace. God has given some people a lot, some people not so much. Paul says, to the grace is given to me. Grace was given especially to Paul for his work and his calling as an apostle. 
And then in chapter 15, verse 15, we read, this is in Romans, Romans chapter 15, verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. You see, Paul is saying what we're studying here in Ephesians. God had given him a measure of grace. And then on over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Let's look at this. According to the grace of God, which was given unto me as a wise master builder. Well, there you have it again. And then Galatians 2.9. We're going to look at it again. Right before Ephesians, Galatians. Galatians 3. Or 2, excuse me, 2, verse 9. You know, I don't think that's the right. And James, Cephas, John, seem to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me. Yeah, there it is. The grace that was given unto me. They perceived the grace that was given unto me. And so as we go back here, and, and look at the text where it's talking about. And then we're referred back to Ephesians chapter 3. Let's look at what Paul says here of Ephesians. We're in the book of Ephesians now. Back there, chapter 3, verse 7 8. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me who am less than of all saints is grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, Paul said, I was not qualified of all people. He murdered Christians. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. But God called him and gave him grace to do something that he really couldn't do. He was to be, what? An apostle to the Gentiles. God gifted him with the grace through the working of the Holy Spirit in his heart. So, Peter did not have the same grace as Paul did. Nor James. And he even says that. They perceived the grace that was given only to Paul. God led them in different directions with different gifts. Now, they were all apostles. and They all had the gift of apostles. But they, had, they were different also. Now, the list here of gifts is somewhat smaller than in Corinthians. And we might ask ourselves to venture why. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I want us to really get this down and understand this. This is so, so important in the church to realize that we can have different gifts. We can have a different measure of grace. Now, we can't use that as an excuse to hold back either. You know, some people say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, my gift is sitting on the pew. That's not a gift. Uh, doing nothing is not a gift. Um, but maybe, you're, maybe you're, you're calling, your heart is for prayer. Well, maybe God is calling you to prayer ministry in the church or prayer war, being a prayer warrior at home, praying hours a day, 
Oh, my, that bless you. That could be a gift. You still got a witness. Still got come true. You still got, you know, still got to do those basic things. Those things are not within the realm of, of, of grace and ministry and gifting. That's just things we have to, you know, we still have, we still have to uh, obey the Ten Commandments even if, <laughs> even if we're not using our gifts. I mean, that, there are things that we do that are common service. And I'm talking about things beyond that, things that will help us to understand the gifts that God has given us. And usually he will give us, as we walk with him, the desire for those things. If, you're, if your gift is evangelism and you say, man, my heart my, my is to witness to people, to share Jesus with people, to reach out. And that's your gift. That's fine. That's great. God will usually show you that. But we're all supposed to be evangelists, aren't we? Okay. Need to get that down. So, be aware, God has given certain people certain gifts that he didn't give you. Amen? Amen? There are some people who have gifts. I'm, I can't be Billy Graham. That's just it. By the way, the, the sign gifts were already passing away. Uh, this is talked about in Hebrews that the apostles confirmed the word of God by signs and miracles. But once the word of God was confirmed about 60 A.D., there was no need for the sign gifts. Um, that's why Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. He says the prophecies will fail, so on and so forth. He's, talking about the, he's actually talking physically about those gifts disappearing. And he said, they won't abide. They're temporary. And then he goes on and says, now abide the faith, hope, and charity. So he is saying these gifts, these sign gifts, are temporary. I mean, if you understand what Paul is trying to say there in 1 Corinthians 13. And he said, that, would, that which is perfect is come, that which is part will be done away with. I think that's the word of God. And once the word of God was received, there was no need for those gifts. Revelation, uh, Romans 12 6 and 7, and we begin, and what are the abiding gifts? What are the gifts that he left us with? Well, they tend to be ministry gifts, gifts that we still use. Do we still have the gift of pastor? Yes. Do we still have the gift of teacher? Yes. Administration? Yes. Helps? Yes. Giving? Yes. We still have those ministry gifts. Um, there'd be no need for the sign, for the sign gift of tongues. Uh, there would be no need uh, for the sign gift of healing. Uh, people say, oh, well, don't you believe God heals? Absolutely. I pray for a lot of people who have gotten healed. I do not have this, the gift of healing. That's different. You're talking about answered prayer. Can God do miracles? Absolutely. But that's the answer to a prayer, and it's not a gift. That's, it's different. Uh, Jesus could heal everybody he touched, so he gave the apostles uh, a gift at one point to do that, and they went out and healed everybody. But look, look, folks, I can't heal everybody. I only, if I, matter of fact, the people I prayed for to be healed, some of them got worse. So, you know, <laughs> I don't have the gift of healing. But some people I prayed for got better. But it is a ministry gift. Look at uh, Romans 12, verses 6 and 7. Having then gifts according to the grace that is given to us. Here we go again. Having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy. Somebody who expounds the word according to the proportion of faith. A ministry, a ministering to people, let us wait, waiting on people. 
Ministering, let him that teacheth teach. Exhorting, exhortation is actually a gift. Exhorting people. And I had a professor in college that was that way, Dr. Cameron. It was just, when he got up and began to speak, it just lifted you up. I wish I could do that. And see, I wish I had that gift. I wish I had the gift that when I began to speak, people just lifted them up. I don't have that. I got to work at it. I got to get you in two or three scriptures and two or three stories and whatever and to get you, you know, and ask you for a couple of amens, then maybe you get into it. But he could walk in the room and walk to the podium and speak a few words and you just, Dr. you could just listen to Dr. Cameron all day and know he lifted you up. But if you exhort exhortation, gives, let him do it with simplicity. Rules, there are those that rule. Diligence, showeth mercy, cheerfulness. There are, all, there are other kinds. Uh, there, and I don't believe that the gift lists in the Bible are, are all inclusive. In other words, I don't necessarily believe they're all listed. And uh, so there are probably other gifts uh, according to the grace of God. And those gifts can be expanded into, that I've listed already, can be expanded into many hundreds of areas. So you begin to see that the gifts of God are very myriad, you know, very many. And uh, those sign gifts were passing away. And I put it here, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 28, where it says this. And God has sent some in the church, first apostles, second uh, secondly, prophets, third, teachers, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, government, diversities of tongues. And that's talking about many of the sign gifts. Now, the epistles were written many years. Uh, these epistles were written many years before Ephesians. So notice when he writes to the Ephesians, what, what do you find? No mention of the sign gifts. No mention of the sign gifts. Why? Because they were all passing away. Uh, the gifts were very much in play. They reflected their purpose, which was to confirm the word of God. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. Uh, confirming the word with uh, signs and miracles. Uh, and I mentioned already, once this was done, as 1 Corinthians 13 put it, when that which is complete has come, the canon, that which is in part, the gifts is done away with. Part of the gifts are done away with. Before I get to the end, I want everyone to go back and read verse 16 again of chapter 4. And I haven't gotten, oh, I've gotten ahead of myself here. I must have missed a page. Hold on here. And we, ha we haven't got there yet. we still got to look at, at some verses here. Let's look uh, right now, beginning in verse 12 through 16. We have not come to the end of the chapter by any means, <laughs> yet. Let's look at those verses. Where, where are we time-wise, Chad? Uh, 27. Okay. We'll end up here in just a moment. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in what? Love. See, we're back to love again. We, and we just saw it uh, earlier, and then we're back to it again. He, he's constantly bringing up the idea of love. Speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working 
and the measurement of every part maketh the increase of the body and the edifying of itself, the building up of itself. And what is the body built up by? Love. This I say, therefore, testifying the Lord that henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. So, we're looking here now at the church. He Remember, he just revealed in chapter 1 and 2, he revealed the church. Okay, here's the mystery of the church. In chapter 2, also he revealed salvation, the church, and in chapter 3. Now, Paul is giving us here the nuts and bolts of the church. Okay, let me tell you now how it's constructed, how the church is constructed together. Now, let's go all the way back to chapter 2, verse 20, and the church here is built upon the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord. We're the bricks of that building, in whom you are also builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So the Spirit has built the church. Now let's talk about the nuts and bolts of that building. We want the church to become mature. The perfecting of the saints here, verse 12, for the work of the ministry. Now let's put the building to work. For the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The building is a growing building. It's going to continue to grow. It's going to grow in number. It's going to grow in spirit. It's going to grow in depth of belief. And it's going to be unified, verse 13. And we talked about already uh, here in chapter 4 why we're unified. Verse 13, we're unit, come the unity of the faith. And why do we want to grow and learn the Bible? Why should you, as a believer, want to learn the Bible? Well, here it is, verse 14. Let's just read it. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, every belief that comes along, by the slight of men, people who are deceiving you, including the devil, and cunning, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. There are people out there wanting to deceive you, but you need to grow, what? Uh, in order that you won't be tricked. The word sleight of hand means trickery. You know, like the little... Mm-hmm. They, they put the thing down there and a cup over and they move it around and you never get the right one. Uh, the reason is is because we're tricked. Actually, if I understand those things correctly, the little ball is not under any of them. It's put there when the guy picks it up. He actually puts it there to show you. You know, That's why you could never get it right. You could never get the ball, no matter which one, if you picked all three of them. Um, but so we learn the Word of God, and we're studying not only to show ourselves approved to God, that's one reason, but also so that we won't fall victim when the Jehovah Witnesses knock on our door and say, Did you know that Jesus is Michael the Archangel? You say, No, I didn't know that. Well, let us show you, let us twist the scriptures. And show you how that works. Well, listen, folks. If you don't understand, like for the word angel, 
that it's used to describe pastors, Jesus, and beings, then you'll be caught up, you'll be sucked right up in that. So if you haven't studied your Bible enough to know that, then are they going to trick you? Yes. And a lot of people have been tricked. I, had a, I remember I had a church member at North Canapolis that got into uh, Mormonism. And I said, do you know what they believe? Oh, yeah, well, they believe just like we do. I said, really? Let's go to the Lutheran, uh, Lutheran, excuse me, Latter-day Saints. Excuse me me for that snafu. Latter-day Saint website and see what they believe. And we went there and printed out a bunch of stuff. And she said, well, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I said, yep, and you're in it. I said, you were deceived. You were tricked. And so we study so that people won't deceive us. We won't be tricked. I used to say about one guy, he's only as spiritual as the last speaker he heard. Because every time he heard something new from somebody, hey, have you heard this? And you know, that's not the what God wants us to do. God wants us to study the Word. You get into the Word. Read the book of Ephesians. We're going to come back. We're going to take up there. And we're going to finish chapter 4, maybe next time, hopefully. We're taking it verse by verse. We don't want to be in a hurry. And then we've still got chapter 5 and 6 ahead. Well, God bless you in your Bible study this week. And let's pray as we close. Lord, bless us. We pray for the sick, those in need in our church. And we pray for our nation, Lord, its healing. We pray, Lord, uh, for the president, the vice president for Congress, for those in authority, as you have told us in the Bible to do. We pray for those in authority that we may lead a peaceable life. We do that now. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.